0: Hello, my geese This is episode four of Robinson's podcast, also known to me as my podcast. This is the first episode that I'm publishing. I think I'd recorded some other ones that is strength oriented. And ironically, I'm recording this introduction right after eating a pint of enlightened cookie dough ice cream for breakfast. And it was not that bad, even though it was diet ice cream, but it was dyed blue, which would typically, I think, be appealing to me, but because it was diet ice cream, it just felt kind of insulting. But anyway, this, this podcast is with Abigail Biddle, who I met in New York when I was living there and going to Columbia. She is really strong. She's a bodybuilder, but she's also a law student at Duke University. So in our podcast, we talk about Utsi the Iceman, which is also the name of her dog minus the Iceman part. We talk about skiing, and then we talk a lot about bodybuilding and her experience as a bodybuilder. So we talk about some of the travails of cutting weight as a bodybuilder talk about body image issues, which not just bodybuilders, but obviously all sorts of people struggle with. How weightlifting can help sexual assault assault survivors, which is something that she's particularly interested in. We talk about Abigail's five concussions, how she got bolder shoulders, which is hard for, are hard for anyone to get, but particularly women. We talk about her macros, So if you don't know what macros are, they are the macronutrients, fat, carbohydrate, and protein, which bodybuilders track as they're trying to alter their body composition. We talk about, so we talk about her macros and how her training changes during periods of weight gain and loss, not eating Taco Bell before a cross country flight, air fryer hacks and all sorts of things. You should really check out her Instagram. It's fit, underscore, as, underscore, abiddle. And that's B-I-D-D-L-E. Just to see how strong and impressive she is before you hear us talk. But this was a really fun episode for me to record. And I hope it's not the last one we do together. And I hope you enjoy it. First things first. I we met at the dog, well, in Central Park a couple weeks ago. Yes, we did. <laughs> and your dog's name is Uzi. Yes,
1: it's Uzi.
0: Uzi. And is that from I I feel like I remember there was a caveman or something. Yeah, so that so
1: he's technically his name is technically Uts. And he's named after the oldest wet mummy ever found in the Utsidal Alps on the border of Austria and Italy, uh, but Utsi's cuter, so we call him Utsi. Utsi is cuter. Yeah.
0: I feel like I didn't. Didn't they? Now that you mentioned he was found in the Alps, do you know a lot about him? I
1: don't know, uh, like, I, not in crazy amount of detail, but I know quite a bit. Yeah.
0: Okay. I Is he the the person who they were able to like look at his stomach and, see and do his x-rays? what last meal
1: was. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns yeah. out that and he like, was murdered. He,
0: yeah. He was like being chased yeah. probably. And he went up there and died with like bread in his stomach and some other things. I thought that was really, yeah. really neat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he was found about 30 years ago. And actually my dad this past winter, we're big skiers. And my dad went skiing in Italy this winter, and he went to the Uzi Museum. So he got to see Uzi, and he brought back all these magnets and trinkets and that kind of stuff. So it was pretty cool.
0: Nice. Where do you ski in the U.S.?
1: So, ooh, um, Actually, the past two winters, I was an alpine ski racing coach in New Hampshire, At a really small mountain called Ragged Mountain. And I was a U16, U18, U21 coach. So my kids were between the ages of uh, like 14 and 18. We did have one 19 year old. Um, But I grew up skiing in Vermont at Sugarbush, as well as a small mountain called Catamount, which is on the border of, I think, New York and Massachusetts um, yeah.
0: Okay. I grew up skiing once a year, but, uh, at Alta. in Yeah. Salt Lake City, I, if you've ever I been there.
1: love Alta. We were supposed to go to Alta this year. We usually go every year for closing weekend and we stay at the Alta Lodge.
0: Okay. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So were you a competitive skier then? Yeah. Too? So I
1: started, racing when I was about 4 years old. Um I have two older sisters and one of them is 4 years older than me and the other one is 6 years older than me. And when I was 4 years old, I was still in ski school and I was skiing with 12 year olds in ski school cuz I was a very good skier and the issue was that I because I was so little and I was really embarrassed about being so much younger than everyone else in my group. I actually would pee my pants like every day <laughs> because I was oh, wow. too embarrassed to say that I had to go to the bathroom. And so I got kicked out of ski school because they were like, "We can't deal with this." And um, my sisters were racing in the interclub program, so not not super high stakes. More, it's like a club team basically, and. Um, I was able to hop in there and my dad would, you know, spend more time with me because I was the only four-year-old. And uh, that's how I started racing. And I, I raced through high school, but I went to boarding school for high school, not like a ski academy. Um, to be honest, it's, it's interesting looking back on my athletic career in high school, as well as college, because I played lacrosse my freshman year in college. Um, And at that time, even my freshman year in college, as well as high school, I wasn't really thinking about being the best athlete I could be. I was more thinking about how do I not embarrass myself? I was very, very self conscious. Yeah, yeah, I was so self conscious. And I had so much anxiety, both social anxiety and performance anxiety, that I was so worried about making a fool of myself. And it wasn't until, honestly, I started doing CrossFit probably at the age of like, what, 19, 19, 20, that I really started to tap into my competitiveness,
0: Okay. So, well, this brings us um, to weightlifting. We so go. when we yeah. met, you stopped me because I was wearing my my ruck set. Yes. So I, I ruck every morning mm-hmm. uh, with a heavy-weighted pack, and you asked me about it. And then I kept on walking, and then I turned around. And hold on a second. You can go to um a let's see let's see what is your instagram oh it's
1: fit <laughs> underscore fit. as underscore a biddle
0: <laughs> yes so i'm looking at a post from three weeks ago uh in which you're doing a like a neutral grip pull down uh, at the lat machine uh-huh and flexing some super cut delts and traps yeah and so I was I was walking up that hill and then I turned around and I saw that you had these super cap delts which is what bodybuilders call (gasps) boulder shoulders Mm -hmm. and I was like oh okay and then I asked you if you trained and you told me you're a bodybuilder Mm -hmm. so you just had a a Competition. Recently? Yeah,
1: actually, when I met you, I had had my show, I think, like three days before. And that was my first bodybuilding show. And I'm currently 15 days out from my second bodybuilding show.
0: Yeah, so I saw that post. Did you post about that today? I think you said things are going to be changing every day and getting better. So what's that, what's that like for you right now being 15 days out and probably low on calories and food?
1: Yeah. Surprisingly, the past few days have not been horrible. Um, But there's definitely some brain fog. A lot of times I want to say something and it doesn't exit my mouth the way that I wanted it to. And, you know, I've had a mental breakdown probably like every three days for just like five minutes. And by mental breakdown, I really mean just like all of a sudden, I just want to cry. And it's not for a particular reason. You're just, I'm just tired um, because of the training, the cardio, Right now, I'm having a really hard time sleeping through the night, so I can fall asleep really easily, but my body's been waking up at five a.m. every morning, and part of that is because I'm at such a low body fat percentage. So right now, mm-hmm. I'm around like six percent body fat.
0: Oh yeah. wow! Did you get a DEXA scan? No. I, or how do you measure? So that?
1: I use the in-body machine. Um, just at the, cause right now I work as a personal trainer at a club, um, downtown and we have one of those machines. So it's not, it's not a hundred percent accurate by any means. Um, however, I have data from before I started cutting and now, and there's a very big difference. (laughs) Um, so as a woman being like, I, I can feel the difference once you're at like sub 12% body fat, I mean, like I really started to realize it when I sat down on the subway and I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And I realized it's because
0: <laughs> your sit bones touching yep, the, the bench. Yep.
1: And mm-hmm. uh, my feet get really tired because the fat pads on the bottom of my feet don't exist anymore. Ooh,
0: I've never heard that one before. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's something I I never thought huh. of. Um, but but overall, I'm actually feeling pretty good this week compared to last week, because last week I was really hungry and I was dealing with some bloating and I didn't look the way I wanted to look being 20 days out from my show. And honestly, it was really like two days ago where I feel like my body just showed up, you know? Um, Mm
0: -hmm. so I really wish that I could share the screen. I'm going to have to figure out how to do that, but I really encourage people to go look at your Instagram, uh, because, and and this is, I mean, it's sort of weird to say because it's, we're not supposed to objectify other people's bodies, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of part of the sport, but you've clearly put so much work into your body and you're so lean. And I know. How extraordinarily difficult it is to get that lean. Yeah, uh, a lot of people. Well, I think in general people would assume that the toughest part about bodybuilding is the training, but going to the gym is the fun part. I mean, mm-hmm. people wouldn't be bodybuilding if they didn't like that. But it's cutting that is so absolutely miserable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But uh, we can we can get back to cutting more lately, more later. But for now, I I'm curious why build why bodybuilding and why competing mm-hmm. in bodybuilding
1: mm-hmm. so um it's kind of a strange story uh i was an athlete in college really my whole life
0: so l- lacrosse is a freshman yeah so
1: i played lacrosse my freshman year i went to a really small college called pitzer college in claremont <coughs> california it's one of the claremont colleges so pitzer does their sports with Pomona, so I played lacrosse for the Pomona Pitzer women's lacrosse team. Um, and my freshman year, I got my fifth concussion. So, oh, wow. yeah. So after that, no more lacrosse. Uh, and I wasn't really active. I mean, you know, I would go to the gym maybe like once or twice a week, and I would be one of those. People taking my little dumbbells and a mat and going into the corner and doing some hip workout that I saw on Instagram or something like that. And it wasn't until, uh, let me see, my junior spring, when oh yeah, my junior spring in college, I had just gone through a breakup that was really hard for me, and I had mono. So those two things together, my body just deteriorated. And I was looking at myself and I was like, oh my God, I felt so uncomfortable in my body. And that's something that I've struggled with for a long time. I mean, if you do go on my Instagram page, the first thing in my bio is sexual assault survivor. And that's something that I'm very open about. Um, I'm very open about the fact that I was assaulted when I was 15 in high school Um, and since then I've struggled with feeling present in my body and feeling ownership of my body but it was it wasn't really until my junior year of college when I was depressed and dealing with an illness that those feelings of of being out of control of my, my body and not feeling present in my body, they really were overwhelming. And,
0: and what are, what are you referring to in particular when you say, hmm, let's say like dissociating maybe from your body, like what is it that you see in your body that you just aren't owning? Um, like being heavier than you want to no, be or no, not no, seeing the muscles it, it you want wasn't, to see. Or... It wasn't
1: at all about, um, the way that I looked, it was the way that I felt like I would just look at myself and I felt like my body wasn't mine. It's a really, really hard feeling to explain, but
0: yeah, I, I can, I can understand even though I haven't been in that position Mm -hmm. but how sexual assault might make you look at your body in that way try to distance yourself yeah exactly try to detach
1: yourself almost
0: yeah i just can't empathize with the feeling i guess i look in the mirror and i might really dislike my body Mm -hmm. and I, i think oh i don't feel like it represents who i am but i I still realize that it's mine in a way, right? but I understand how you, you, it's hard to explain. Yeah.
1: I mean the, the closest thing, the closest word to explain it would be dissociation. And Mm. I worked at my school gym as a front desk person. And at the time there was a student who was a certified personal trainer who was doing free sessions. And so I actually started training with him, and he taught me how to lift. He taught me how to barbell back squat. He first taught me taught me how to trap bar deadlift, and then we moved to a normal more, a normal barbell. Uh, taught me how to bench, and I fell in love with it.
0: And I'm go- I'm gonna try to guess what you're gonna say because it's just occurring to me yeah. now, and it seems. Uh, brilliant maybe that one way of overcoming this dissociation is by m- mastering your body in a sense and starting to build mm-hmm. it from the ground up and by making those changes yourself you can gain ownership over it 100
1: percent and but, okay that's really but nice at I first like that. at first it wasn't it wasn't about the way that my body looked it was about the way that it felt you know when i was squatting 135 pounds back then. I remember when I first squatted 135 pounds, which is the bar and 45 pound plates. Uh, I remember the first time I squatted it for four reps. I felt every muscle I was using. And it was that feeling that made me, that, that brought me back into my body
0: exactly sort of. exactly yeah.
1: so at first it was not at all about aesthetics it was all strength i didn't i didn't really care about how i looked i just wanted to lift more i wanted to lift heavier and that's how i got into crossfit because i was into lifting and then i saw the crossfit documentaries on netflix and i was like oh my god These women, like Tia Claire Toomey, Sarah Sigmund's daughter, Katrin David's daughter, they're jacked and they're beautiful. And they're moving an insane amount of weight. And I looked at them and how they move their bodies through the gymnastics movement and the the gymnastics movements and the Olympic lifts. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And so that's how I got into CrossFit, which still was strength training. Um, And through CrossFit, I started learning more about how my body moved. I learned all of these movements. I started lifting really heavy and feeling really confident with a 200-pound barbell on my back. And it wasn't until I had been doing that for a few months when i actually started to seek out a coach because i kind of plateaued my lifts you know you have beginner gains and you get strong really fast and then you kind of plateau unless something changes and i thought that i was eating really well at the time turns out i wasn't <laughs> um, i was not
0: what were you eating well then?
1: i was eating a lot of fat and I wasn't eating a lot of carbs. I, w- I was eating quite a bit of protein, but not enough. Um, but I remember growing up, everyone saying, bread makes you fat, carbs are bad, don't eat too much pasta. So I was trying to stay away from those things. And I was like having like four protein shakes a day with tablespoons of peanut butter because I thought that was the way to do it. And I, I found my coach, Zoe Panzerino um, on Instagram actually. And she is an IFBB bikini pro bodybuilder. And I started working with her now three years ago, and she is still my coach today. And she's the reason why I'm now Competing in bodybuilding because at first it was all about strength. So for me, I was considered a lifestyle client because I wasn't – I didn't care about how I looked. I mean it was nice.
0: And you weren't competing. Exactly,
1: and I wasn't competing. And it was nice to see muscles, but I mean I did not look at all like how I look now. Um, but three years ago, Zoe was she, – she said to me, she said – You should really think about competing. I think you have the right body for it, and you have the right mentality uh, and relationship with food. And at the time, I was like, absolutely not. I am not stepping on stage in heels in a bikini with like I I had never had my makeup or hair done except for my senior prom. Like that's not me at all. So for two and a half years, I was like, absolutely not. And, uh, then I got bored and I was like, you know, I, my, my body was tired from CrossFit. I, I just would show up to the gym every day and I felt like I didn't have something I was competing for anymore. You know, I love doing a CrossFit WOD when there's someone behind me doing burpees faster than me because i look at them and i'm like i want to do burpees that fast or i want to beat you but i it, i can't go to the gym by myself and get that same workout because i'm i don't have that person chasing me behind me mm-hmm. and i was just like you know what screw it Let's let's do a show. Let's see how it goes. So I started my prep for my May show. Uh, what? Well, I started the training for my prep, so not cutting yet, but the...
0: But more bodybuilding-style Exactly, training.
1: more bodybuilding-style training in September. And part of that was also just because okay. I had moved to New York City from New Hampshire, and I can't afford a CrossFit gym membership in New York City, and... I worked as a personal trainer, so I had in a more conventional gym. So I had access to that gym, and I was like, you know what, might as well do it.
0: Okay, so, all right, two two things I want to talk about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: First, uh, how did you get five concussions? Oh God,
1: <laughs> skiing? No, actually, I don't think I've had any from skiing. So. I did uh, a lot of sports growing up. So I had my first one, my first ever was from horseback riding. But I think total I had two from horseback riding. Uh, one from martial arts because I, I did Shotokan karate for like 12 years. So I'm a, I'm okay. a secondary black belt in Shotokan karate. Uh, and I also did some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and kickboxing when I was younger, um, one of them was being really stupid and uh, like opening a door on my face or something when I was in middle school. Uh, And then my last one was in college. It was the worst concussion I've ever had. And I was at a party and Mr. Brightside started playing and everybody started like mosh pitting and I got elbowed in the head. It was really bad. I blacked out. Uh, The next morning, I was throwing up, and I thought that I was just hungover because, you know, college kid. And then three days later, I was still throwing up, and I was like, I don't think this is a hangover. And um, Mm -hmm. that was the worst one. I missed, like, my last month and a half of my freshman year, and I had to finish my classes over the summer.
0: So – I'm just curious about this because I've had one concussion Mm -hmm. and it was somewhat similar to your experience. Uh, Well, the last thing I really... I was a freshman in high school and I was getting drunk for the first time (laughs) with a friend of mine. And the last thing I remember is falling face first and like hitting my head on his table. Yeah. And then... Um, I went to the hospital later on after like their parents found us like both passed out. <laughs> uh, but it was just the strangest week after that mm-hmm. because I couldn't focus on anything. Mm-hmm. So I played soccer and I couldn't run and dribble the ball at the same time. Yeah, uh, there, there were just all sorts of things like that. And even still to this day, I feel like, Sensations are a little bit different than they used to be, yeah you, that that in particular, I'm wondering if you have so
1: that. for me, it's not necessarily sensations, but my memory has definitely been impacted, and after my last concussion, I actually had to deal with migraines, chronic migraines for about two and a half years, and they would mm-hmm. be set off by loud noises, stress, I would have to carry a a case of earplugs and a sleeping eye mask everywhere with me in case I felt a migraine coming on. And I would have to take my medication and then just try to find a quiet corner and ride it out, basically. Um, Luckily, I haven't had a migraine in about two years now. Um, so I know that my brain has healed a little bit, but my memory is not as good as it used to be. It's better now. I used to forget everything. Um, Hmm. and my attention is not great either. So like, it's great that, you know, I feel better than I did, but there were times when I was... In high school, even when I would get so frustrated with myself because I would tell someone the same story like four times and they'd be like, Abigail, Hmm. I've heard this so many times. I'd be like, what are you talking about? I've never told anyone this. And um, I would just get really frustrated with myself so.
0: Yeah, that's rough. I remember feeling very upset and frustrated and worried that during that week, uh, things were never going to go back to normal mm-hmm. and that I was going to be stuck in this weird twilight. Oh, gosh. Dimension. That
1: never even occurred to me Like during that those times. Thank God or else I would have had a panic attack. <laughs> um, it was no. more just like, nope, lights off. Listen to books on tape. And, uh, I don't even know, just take it day by day.
0: So something though that you, another thing you just mentioned, and I'm keeping track of, uh, the tangents that I want to okay. go on, but <sighs> you mentioned sleep mask. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I saw, <laughs> I saw on some of your Instagram stories that you have, the same sleep mask I have, which is like the Manta deluxe sleep Mm -hmm. mask. And I'm going to plug that thing right now. Oh, 100%. So why did you get that for your concussions? No, well, uh,
1: no, I didn't get it for my concussions. So I've...
0: This one in particular. Yeah, this
1: one in particular I got because I really like how I can open my eyes and it's it's black in the in the mask. And it's still blackout. But I've actually owned every iteration of the Manta Sleep Mask. I actually have the OG one in my bedroom uh, because I travel with that one. It's not great, but um, I mean, compared to the one that they make now, because it's from like four years ago Mm -hmm. or something. Um, But... It's also the
0: I have the other one. Yeah, too. it's
1: the it's it's the only one that I've used that is full blackout because I usually cuz I have this like pronounced bump on my nose. So if it doesn't have those, you know, eye cups, I, I then I get, get the yeah. peek through of light right here and I mm-hmm. hate that. It drives me crazy.
0: So Yeah, I need I I need to sleep in pitch black yes. environments and I moved to New York and my apartment had like wall to seat ce- or floor to ceiling windows in the bedroom and I just couldn't sleep, so I had to get one, but it's perfect because now like traveling is so much easier. Yeah. Uh yeah. So Manta Deluxe sleep. Oh mask.
1: yeah. It's Everybody. it's expensive, a hundred percent worth the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: okay so the the next thing that i wanted to go back Mm -hmm. to was crossfit has i think a pretty bad reputation among a lot of people Mm -hmm. and it's probably justified to some extent by bad gyms Mm -hmm. but it's it mainly revolves around claims of people getting injured Mm -hmm. uh, too much because it's too much work but so you you haven't been doing CrossFit for I don't know nine months now, um, mm-hmm. but how so? How do you feel about it at this point? Still very positive? Yeah, you?
1: I mean I I love CrossFit, I really do. And the reason why, in my opinion, the reason why CrossFit has a bad rep, especially when you run into someone who has been injured doing CrossFit, it's because the demand for coaches and for boxes exploded in the US as soon as those documentaries came out you started seeing crossfit everywhere and it's cuz everybody wanted to do it so when you have this really high level of demand for something like you know it's a business crossfit is going to do its best to to meet that demand however the thing about CrossFit is that you need quality coaches and to be a quality coach, you need experience. You can't rush mm-hmm. experience. So what happened was you have these boxes that are opening up with coaches that maybe they're certified personal trainers. Maybe they've been doing uh, traditional weightlifting or even just Olympic weightlifting or even just gymnastics movements, but they haven't been doing them all combined. So when you have a workout that is a combination of Olympic lifts and gymnastics movements, and a coach that doesn't know how to do all of those things or how to teach all of those things with progressions as well as regressions for each individual athlete you know, we're going to call all of these CrossFitters athletes, then that's where injuries happen. People who are injured from CrossFit most of the time are not in great shape. And that's, that's okay. You know, you should be able to walk into a CrossFit box, a gym, a fitness center of any sort, with any experience level and be able to have access to resources that are going to help you achieve whatever goals you want to, whether that's to become more fit, lose weight, X, Y, and Z. But if a CrossFit box doesn't have a coach that can cater to a beginner, then they shouldn't be taking those clients. But they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, down the line, in my life, it's very plausible that I'll return to CrossFit in some capacity because there are still things that I need to learn how to do. You know, I need to learn how to link muscle-ups. Uh, I've gotten maybe like five in my life bar muscle-ups, uh, and then I just couldn't couldn't do it again uh, because, you know, the body is a weird thing. Um There are things that I want to improve. I want to improve my clean and jerk. I want to improve my snatch. And I love how I can get a nice, really hard workout in, in like 20 minutes with a CrossFit WOD, which is something that I can't get in my bodybuilding style training. But also right now, I have time to spend two, two and a half hours in the gym,
0: so wads like a CrossFit wad might just be 20 minutes.
1: Oh yeah. There are CrossFit wads that are eight minutes. Like,
0: hmm. okay. I've, yeah. I've, I've never done a, a CrossFit yeah, workout Yeah. Before. Like,
1: uh, I would say the, the normal CrossFit wad is between like eight and 20 minutes. And then you have so the longer people- wads like a Murph or a hero wad, something like that. And the Murph, what my last time I did the Murph, uh, my time was like 45 minutes and 48 seconds, something like that, and that's long.
0: So, when people are doing the eight or the eight minute wads, mm-hmm. are they structuring their workout just with a, a warm up, the wad, and then a cool down, and that's it for no, the day? No, so
1: usually there's a warm up and then there's a strength component. So, um, Let's say it'll be a snatch day. So you're working on your snatch, whether it's a power snatch or a squat snatch, and you do that for the first half. And then you'll do a wad. Usually, if you're snatching for your strength component, a snatch will be in the wad. So, an example would be uh, you're working on your power snatch and your working up to a heavy triple. So you're cycling the barbell, three snatches, going as, you know, working your way up to a, a heavier weight for you. Let's say for me that's 100 pounds. And then the eight-minute wad might be an eight-minute AMRAP of five snatches at 65 pounds and 10 burpees over the barbell. And so you do that as many times as you can in eight minutes. It's like an eight-minute sprint almost. But again, you still have eight whole minutes. And eight minutes, if you're snatching and doing burpees, can feel like a lot oh, yeah. longer than eight minutes. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you would do the cool down.
0: Okay. Okay. And then so when you transitioned from CrossFit to bodybuilding to the prep, hmm What were the biggest changes in training then?
1: So Uh, when I was...
0: You probably went from a lot of compound lifts and mm -hmm. body weight movements, I'm guessing, in these Mm -hmm. circuits. Did you start using more machines?
1: A lot more machines. So um, Mm -hmm. I towards the end of me doing CrossFit, I was doing CrossFit... About three to four days a week, and then one to two accessory lifts a week, and those were structured by my coach. Uh, partly because at that time, I my body was just getting tired from CrossFit. Like it's it's hard on your body, um, and I also had goals to PR a deadlift, PR my back squat. And so in order to hit those, I wanted to make sure I was doing everything I could to progress. And that's where accessory lifts come in. Um, So towards the end of me doing CrossFit, I was really only doing it three or four times a week. But then once I decided I was going to do a bodybuilding show... My training changed quite a bit. Uh, five days of weightlifting, I was not doing cardio at that time. Um, and it was more of a bodybuilding style split. So it was like, what push, pull, legs, shoulders, and arms, and then a full body day. And part of that is because, Right now, you can see that I have a very developed upper body for a woman. At the at the time, I did not. At the time, my upper body strength was horrible <laughs> um, compared to my lower body strength, and part of that is because I'm a skier. So my squat and deadlift have always been great. Uh, super. I, I'm very quad dominant. Um, so you can. I've always had tree trunk thighs, uh, but that's what my bodybuilding style split was. And it was created by my
0: coach. So looking through your Instagram, you have a few features that I think really stand Mm -hmm. out. And one is the boulder shoulders, (laughs) the delts, the capped delts. Another people were commenting a lot on your abs, mm-hmm. and then there was another picture, another post that was like a before and after of your glutes. Mm-hmm. So, one part of bodybuilding that differs from uh CrossFit, I'm guessing, but certainly powerlifting is that you're not training certain areas just for aesthetics you might have a lagging body part that you need to train to develop strength Mm -hmm. but for bodybuilding you're doing that for hypertrophy Mm -hmm. and to create symmetry so did you spend a lot of time working on those three particular features Mm -hmm. or did they just arise naturally in your training so
1: my glutes just came naturally through my training my glutes i
0: so that means big yeah, butt, which exactly. a lot of lifestyle clients really want. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that that was not planned at all, uh, and it happened through CrossFit, partly because of so many squats, wall balls. You know that kind, those kinds. of – Wall balls. Wall balls are um, so uh, like a fourteen-pound large medicine ball, and you do a squat, and then you throw it up to a line on the wall. And then
0: okay, and it bounces. Well, back. when
1: it comes down, you catch it, and you come down in the squat, and you go up. Uh, yeah, Got it. and uh, my my glutes. Literally, that was never a plan. But I also, when growing up, I had no butt. I had a flat butt, and I used to have huge boobs. So I used to be a size thirty rib cage triple D cup size. So which huh. is hilarious now because I don't even wear bras. Uh, so part of that is because of training. How
0: did that happen? So part of that's because of training.
1: Okay. And then also um, I, I accredited it to going off of the hormonal birth control pill. Oh,
0: interesting. yeah.
1: So um, hmm. that, w- which is really interesting, you know, that could be completely false, but that's when I noticed the mm-hmm. difference uh, was going off the hormonal birth control pill. Um, but glutes were just, just showed up, uh, shoulders, those I work really hard on. And it's also now my favorite body part to train, partly because not a lot of women have developed shoulders and I think it looks really cool when you know
0: i I think it looks really cool yeah, too. i I it,
1: <laughs> I it makes me feel strong and it makes me feel like i I take up space, which is yeah. something that I felt really uncomfortable doing when I was younger uh so
0: also, if you're in the gym or you wear tank tops, they're one of those muscles that make you look like you yeah weights. exactly
1: they make you look like like mm-hmm. a badass uh mm-hmm. and then my abs um i
0: ha- well f- shoulders first oh, okay, I, I go go, back to okay shoulders. we can talk about shoulders so, all
1: day <laughs>
0: uh, okay so how <clears throat> do you train shoulders just specifically on that one day that you said is arms and shoulders day no
1: so i also do shoulders on push and pull days so an example is today was a push day and i still did single arm cable lateral raises with a three second eccentric movement
0: okay so you're doing shoulders three days a week pretty much yeah and in like the 12 to 25 rep range or Uh,
1: between 10 and 20 except for when on my shoulders and arms day. Oh, my coach programmed a run the rack of lateral raises. And so I start at 25 pound dumbbells and I do six reps of lateral raises at 25 pounds, 22.5 pounds, 20 pounds And then I do 8 to 10 reps, 17.5 pounds, 15 pounds, 12.5 pounds. Are
0: you resting between sets?
1: This is all one set.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) And then I do – Okay, great.
0: That sounds painful. In a nice Well, and
1: then I do 12 reps with what? or 10 to 12 reps, 10 pounds, 7.5 pounds, 5 pounds. And I will tell you, a 5-pound dumbbell never felt so heavy because uh, that's that's one set. And then I rest two minutes, and I do it again.
0: Oh, wow. So I do twice. that one twice. That's your finisher, right? No. Your, no?
1: It's not even Oh, my finisher. gosh. Yeah, wow. but I love lateral raises. Those are my favorite. Um, also because – So
0: those are – that's what I was going to ask. Those are your, your favorite shoulder exercises. Those are exercise. my favorite
1: shoulder exercise, especially because most people do them incorrectly. Uh, most people – Tell me So more. most people <laughs> will have their arms completely straight. And I'm going right. to – I know if people are listening to this, they can't see this. But um, uh-huh. then they'll just lift up their arm to their side like 90 degrees like this. But if you're doing that, and also if you're, your uh, palms are facing down, you're not actually getting the whole shoulder head, you're getting more of your back right back here. So if you have a little mm. bend in your elbow, and then you think instead of bringing the dumbbell up, you think about pushing your elbows away from you, and then finishing with your pinky facing the sky, that's how you get really that whole shoulder head there um That's good to yeah know. so every time i see somebody in the gym doing a lateral raising correctly and usually it's like a really jacked dude who's grunting every rep or he's using his body to create momentum i kind of giggle to myself because i'm like huh mm-hmm. you don't know what you're doing <laughs> which is fine if you don't know what you're doing you know um because that's why we have fitness professionals and coaches to help teach you. But it's when people refuse that help that, um, especially from a woman that I find funny because, you know, I've, I've been in the gym while I work as a, as a personal trainer and I've, I've told someone like, "Hey, you're going to hurt yourself doing this," or like, "You're gonna have a herniated disc if you keep deadlifting with that spinal movement," and they'll be like, "You don't know what you're talking about." And then I just walk away because, you know, you you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> now to the abs. Yeah.
1: So Those didn't show up until I was like sub 8% body fat.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Those are, oh my God. It's
0: funny how everybody's so different. I can get up to like 18% and I still have. Yeah. And
1: that's, that's genetic. Because I just don't
0: put on my fat. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: partly genetic. And you probably have a more, uh, more pronounced transverse abdominus um i mean you see like annie thoris daughter who's a crossfit athlete who always will have like this it's like a turtle shell abdomen Mm -hmm. it's a Mm -hmm. trunk like a tree trunk it's awesome but that's her genetic those are her genetics i do not have those genetics um and I carry a lot of my body fat in my midsection and that's very normal for women especially my lower abdomen. Mm. So um I didn't have like I didn't even know it was possible for me to have abs until this prep.
0: Really? Yeah. So you hadn't had them before in Never. life? Never. That is so crazy because your abs are so intense. I know. so
1: so like it it just goes to show that there is muscle under there but it takes a lot of work to get there and you know it's hard with with some of the clients that i've worked with before because so i i work at a gym that's close to nyu so i've trained a lot of nyu students and a lot of young women they're like, "Oh, I want some abs for the summer. How do I get those? I just need to do core workouts, right?" And I'm like, "Oh, girl. I've been doing core workouts for a really long time and I didn't get abs until I started tracking my macros and being in a caloric deficit for like 14 weeks."
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is it's funny how that works. Like uh I mean, my dad was just asking me the other day how he could get rid of his like uh love handles yeah. and the answer people want is that they just have to go to a gym 3 days a week but the reality is that 90 I mean whatever percentage I throw out is going to be arbitrary yeah. but 90% of it is or more is it's all, it's diet, all diet and that's just the worst I worst know. part So I'm guessing so you started prep then in September
1: Well I started I started training For prep in September,
0: yeah. And I'm guessing that means you were bulking at that point. You hadn't started,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So, okay, you seem hesitant about that. Yeah,
1: I say I seem hesitant because, um, the term I don't love the term bulking, really, just because of how it's used in more like male gym culture. You know, when when I hear a lot of men being like, oh yeah, I'm bulking or I'm doing a dirty bulk and they're eating Chick-fil-A and they're eating like really fatty foods, a lot of peanut butter to just, you know, get in those calories. That's not what I was doing. I mean, I was still tracking my macros meticulously which is something I've done for three years now with the guidance of my coach Um, and we were increasing my macros I mean I got up to 500 grams of carbs a day that was awesome that was so fun I was eating 500 grams of carbs 75 grams of fat and 160 grams of protein a day which is over 3,000 calories Um, and maintaining weight though that's the thing. I wasn't putting on a ton of weight because the goal wasn't to put on body fat. You still want to, like, like you want to be feeding your muscle that you currently have, and you want to be able to feed or uh, fuel protein muscle synthesis for building new muscle. But if you're eating in an extreme caloric excess, then you're putting on body fat, which is just creating a more difficult cut later on.
0: So hold on. You you weren't trying to gain weight? So you were trying to what, what what they call recon. Yeah. So you were trying to lose fat while putting on muscle and not gain any extra weight on well, the Well the
1: weight wasn't the weight wasn't a goal at all. It wasn't like, oh, let's not try to put on weight. It's just that I wasn't not trying to put on weight. Does that make sense? It was more like we were using sure. <laughs> we were using the scale as a tool to see how my body was metabolizing food. So an example would be before before I started cutting, I was about one hundred and forty six pounds, one hundred forty five pounds, and if.
0: So you were eating 1.2 grams of protein or so a day
1: per pound of body weight.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. at the yeah at the time. Um, I mean, I've been at 160 grams of protein every day for a very long time.
0: So you don't change it based on your Mm -mm. fluctuations in body weight. No, no, Uh,
1: that really always stays the same, and partly because I have so much muscle mass compared to a normal person uh like a normal person doesn't need that much protein because you don't uh, you right. know this is not normal which is why I do it uh <laughs> but um what was i saying oh gosh
0: i totally cut you off no it's off. To- it's uh, it's we- totally
1: fine um
0: no i cut you off <laughs> this this isn't your uh cut Ruining you with brain fog. No, it's okay. Uh, You you gave me your macro numbers, and you were talking about Mm -hmm. letting the scale guide you, but not trying to not.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was at 145 pounds, and let's say. So I weigh myself every morning, and I track that weight in an Excel sheet along with my macros, uh, my fiber intake, and my water intake. And what I do is uh, my body wakes up in the morning at 7 a.m. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, that would be really impressive because I have to go to the bathroom like as soon as I wake up, I have to poop. Like my body is my body is like clockwork, which I'm very thankful for um but that's the first thing i do in the morning and then as soon as i wash my hands i step on the scale and we utilize that as a tool so if i see that my weight is dropping significantly all of a sudden then i'm not eating enough to fuel my workouts um and i'm not eating enough to fuel muscle protein synthesis but if my weight stays the same, or maybe even increases a little, um, that's that's good. You know that that means that we're going down the right path during that time of training. If the scale increases drastically over a few days, then we know that I'm eating in too much of a caloric excess, so my body's then putting on body fat that I'm going to have to shed later because it's not using it to fuel my workouts or my day-to-day activities. It's not using those calories for muscle protein synthesis, and it's not using those calories for recovery.
0: Okay. And so how does your training in this period when you're preparing for prep, when you're preparing to prepare? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does it differ from your training when you were actually beginning to peel off the extra body fat for Mm -hmm. the show?
1: So I was still doing a lot of compound lifts, and I was doing no cardio. It was awesome. Uh, I was squatting heavy. I was deadlifting heavy, uh, and there were still accessory movements, but it wasn't the majority of my training. And then as like once we started my prep, that's when my programming became a lot less compound movements, a lot less a lot fewer compound lifts, more localized lifts, accessory movements. And we started with only 20 minutes of cardio, like four days a week. And I will say that my experience going into bodybuilding is, again, not normal, because I have learned through this process that my superpower is my metabolism, um, which is partly genetic. My dad was a competitive Nordic skier, and he has an incredible metabolism. So thank you, Edward, for that. Um, I really appreciate it.
0: Uh, if only we all had an Edward. I know,
1: I know. But, but also part of it is because I had never dieted before. I had never restricted okay. before. So my metabolism was going. I was eating over 3,000 right. calories a day, and it was burning through it. So as soon as we dropped it just a little bit, the weight came off really fast. So I, in 14 weeks, I lost, what, 21, 22 pounds, and I never went below. I think the lowest calorie count I got to prepping for my first show was like 1,900 calories. And that was towards the very, very end. Did I ever dip below 2,000 calories a day?
0: Right. That's pretty amazing, especially because a lot of people, probably with your – a lot of women with your body weight, if they eat that much, they're going to gain Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how big a deal that was until my coach as well as the Owner of the team that I'm on, Bare Aesthetics, um, he was like, "Wait, this isn't normal. Like the like I've n- they've never dieted down a woman t- that much with that high of calories."
0: Yeah, that really is a superpower. That's I
1: know. Awesome. <laughs> like <laughs> when when mm-hmm. people ask you what you what superpower you would have. If you could have a superpower, Uh, metabolism, it's pretty great. It's pretty great, uh, but you know, I'm now eating what I think seventeen hundred eighty calories a day because I'm. I'm, So, yeah. So prepping for my next show because part of it is because your metabolism slows down. So Mm -hmm. the reason why my metabolism is so is, is. my superpowers because I had never dieted before. So I was able to go from 145 pounds to 125 pounds, lowering my calories from 3,000 calories to 2,000 calories over time. But let's say you have somebody who's starting at 145 pounds, but they're only eating 2,000 calories a day, anyways they're going to have to go down to like 900 calories a day because Mm -hmm. your metabolism, you have to feed it, you know? So a lot of times I work with clients who they, they come to me and they're like, Abigail, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm eating a thousand calories a day. I'm on the Stairmaster for 40 minutes a day and I'm not losing weight. And you can't tell them to eat less You can't say, oh, you have to eat less than 1,000 calories a day because then they're not going to have energy to live. You're not going to have energy to fuel your body's natural processes. What you have to do is called a reverse. So you slowly increase calories to rev up that metabolism. And then once you do that, then you can decrease. So
0: so did you have to go down to 1780 because you didn't have enough time to reverse after the first show? Yes.
1: And also because the weekend after my first show, uh, I had my in-person college commencement ceremony. So I graduated college in 2020. Great timing. Uh, so we didn't have our in-person commencement ceremony. And this year, we had that. And for me, that was a huge deal. Um, I got to see the people that I was kind of like ripped away from almost. And, and Pitzer, my college experience, was incredible. And I loved Pitzer. I love Pitzer. Um, the people there are just so special. And it was one of the first places where I felt like I could really be myself And I felt like a valued member of the community. So we knew, me and my coach knew going into that weekend that it was a celebratory weekend. You know, I hadn't had a drink in what? Since December. So, you know, I wanted to drink. I wanted to party with my friends from college. I wanted to eat food and celebrate. And that's what I did. And the result was I gained 10 pounds in one weekend. Because part of that was because I had been restricting for so long that I was like, oh, my God, I need to eat everything. So I.
0: So was it a was it a binge or did you feel like you were in control?
1: Mm. (sighs) Was it a binge? It was. It was a binge and it I mean, wasn't you don't a binge. Have a, a,
0: if you didn't have like a negative reaction to it emotionally yeah. and you're totally okay with it, then it's probably yeah, not a binge.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a binge because I didn't feel out of control. I was 100% in control and making those decisions. Um, I just didn't care about the repercussions of those decisions at the time. Um, It wasn't like, oh, my God, I need to stop, but I can't stop. It was like, I should probably stop, but I don't want to. So, um, yeah, yeah.
0: So you you put on a lot of fat in that Mm -hmm. weekend because you're not going to synthesize 10 pounds of muscle. I mean, a lot of it's probably – Glycogen and and a water, lot of it still. was
1: bloating. It took me like three weeks to be not bloated. After that, <laughs> but also I did have Taco Bell for the first time in my life, and that
0: I haven't had Taco Bell yet. Not, Isn't that crazy? It was,
1: it was a really it's bad idea. List. It was a really bad idea. It was three a.m. and I was with one of my best friends, and it was the only place open, and we were drunk and we're eating our, our Taco Bell, uh, chalupa or whatever. Oh, no, a crunch supreme. I don't know. And I look at her and she looks at me and she goes, we're going to feel really bad in about 20 minutes. And you know what happened? We (laughs) ate that at 2 AM at 4 AM. I woke up and I had explosive diarrhea. It was horrible. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought I was going to (laughs) die, so uh, I'll
0: plan accordingly when I go. Yeah, just don't
1: do it before you're going to get on a flight.
0: Yeah, that's. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't planning. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, back to the bodybuilding for Mm -hmm. a second leaving the explosive <laughs> diarrhea for the moment. Sorry,
1: part of, part of uh, bodybuilding is like, I'm very open about my bodily functions. No, that's totally fine. That's totally fine.
0: The point of cardio when you're bodybuilding mm-hmm. or when you're cutting, now is that, so you weren't doing any cardio at all when you're bulking. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you started doing it. You said you started maybe with 20 minutes, four times a yeah. week. And is the point of that, just it's sort of like a trade-off like either you can burn calories through cardio or you can cut more food 100%. and there comes a point where you just want to just move a little bit but get to eat a bit more
1: 100 yeah because there okay. are two ways to get into cal- a caloric deficit one is eat less two burn more calories how do you burn more calories cardio uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the highest my cardio has ever gone is what I'm doing right now, which is an hour of cardio, 60 minutes of cardio, five days a week. So, uh, it's not too bad. I currently do 40 minutes on the incline treadmill walk. Uh, but that's like fast incline treadmill. And then I do 20 minutes on the Stairmaster and I, for my first show, I was doing pretty much all of my cardio on the stairmaster, but I've found that it's a lot harder for my body to recover from the stairmaster. Uh, so, you know, I love
0: in the glutes, mainly, yeah, in the glutes, and, the and
1: and I get inflammation there. And if you if I'm getting inflammation hmm. there, you can't see the glute ham tie as much as you want to. Um, And that's, like, one thing that I'm really trying to be able to show off this coming show. So by doing something that's a little less hard on my body, we're trying to uh, reduce inflammation and and make sure that I'm fully recovered for my next day's workout.
0: Okay. So I think the last question I have for today Mm -hmm. is... About the cut, and particularly what you're eating when you're eating like eighteen hundred calories in yeah. a day, and how you're making that, how you're making the most out of that number to keep yourself sane mm-hmm. in these trying times of having really low body yeah. fat. Yeah.
1: So, um, a lot of people think that when you're cutting, you're eating rice, potatoes, broccoli, and turkey and chicken breast. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I eat a lot of chicken breast and turkey, and I eat a lot of sweet potatoes. My body loves sweet potatoes. Um, But my macronutrients right now, I'm eating – oh, gosh. I'm going to have to check my app because I honestly – I put my numbers in there, and I don't even really think about them until they're zeroed out. Um, So Right now, I'm eating 210 grams of carbs a day. 35 grams of fat, and 160 grams of protein. So um, what I eat is a lot of vegetables. I've actually never had so many vegetables in my life. And that's something positive that has come out of this prep. I used to eat just like, well, I'm also gluten-free, not by choice. I don't know who would ever do that by choice. I've found that my body doesn't process... Wheat that's processed in the U.S. very well, so I try to stay away from gluten in everything for the most part, including beer, which makes me sad because I do love beer when I am drinking, which I'm obviously not right now. Um, But for breakfast, every morning I have the same breakfast, and every morning I look forward to it. I have sweet potatoes. Right now I'm having between 10 and 12 ounces, 12 raw. Sweet potatoes and then I cook them in the air fryer with no oil or anything. Two to three whole eggs. Uh three
0: Interesting. You can do the air fryer with no oil. I've never tried yeah. that.
1: Yeah. I mean it's not they don't get crispy. Huh. They don't get like super crispy, but they get cooked. And I like them.
0: Okay. Um Okay.
1: And then I do like two to three ounces of spinach, a hundred grams of cherry tomatoes, and
0: I'm taking note of that air fryer oh, tip yeah. because that sounds really. Yeah, good. Yeah, I
1: cook. I cook everything in the air fryer with no oil.
0: Without yeah. oil, huh.
1: yeah, um, I don't even use the spray. I mean, you can use like the oil spray, but I don't need to with them. Um, and that's that's breakfast. So I still have ho- things like whole eggs, uh, my pre workout meal. I don't like the term snack. I call really everything a meal. I'll either have like a rice cake or two and some chicken breast or a bunch of carrots and chicken breast. My post-workout meal is always the same. It's rice, cauliflower rice, zucchini, tomatoes, chicken, and then I do a little bit of balsamic vinegar. So it's like a Mediterranean bowl almost. Uh, I eat a lot of cabbage which I didn't...
0: I ate a lot of sauerkraut and kimchi, but not raw or mm-hmm. not raw cabbage. Well, I, do,
1: I mean, I cook it. I, <laughs> I do cook it. Okay. I, I, like, steam it in the pan, and then I'll put, what, like, rice noodles and more chicken breast, a lot of broccoli, and then some soy sauce, rice vinegar, maybe some miso paste, and a little bit of peanut butter powder. So... It's like, it's not fat free, but it's super low fat, but you get that peanutty taste. Um, And then for dinner, oh my gosh, I've been making this thing that's amazing. It's my pineapple shrimp unfried rice because
0: that sounds awesome, though. It's so good. Pineapple and shrimp. It's so good. Mm. So
1: I use fresh pineapple shrimp, which is a lean protein source.
0: So lean. It's like, I know,
1: exactly. A little bit of real rice right now because my carbs are so low i have a lot of cauliflower rice a lot of broccoli um, veggies just to give me that volume and then uh what do i put in there so well obviously pineapple um what else do i put in there some rice vinegar a little bit of soy sauce and some onions and it's delicious it's so good.
0: So what is cauliflower rice? I've never had it's, it.
1: it. It's just riced cauliflower. It's literally like raw cauliflower that's cut up like super, super small. And it doesn't taste like rice at all. The first time I had cauliflower rice, I was like, this doesn't taste like rice. It tastes like cauliflower. And that's because it's literally just cauliflower that has been riced. <laughs>
0: But it's like a good good way to get bulk. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so I've been doing a lot of high-volume foods. Um, and I, I meal prep, but not really anymore. When I was in college, I would put together like actual meals in Tupperware containers. It would be like, this is my pasta with chicken and sauce and vegetables. And this whole container has X number of calories and my X number of macronutrients per container. But what I've found is better for me personally is instead in my fridge, I have a giant bowl of cooked rice, a giant bowl of cooked broccoli, a uh, Tupperware of cooked uh, chicken breasts. Sometimes I have chicken thighs, beans, all that stuff. And then I can take what I need from whichever container in order to make a meal add, if I want it to be a Mexican bowl, I'll add two tablespoons of salsa, a little bit of avocado. There you go. It's a Mexican bowl. I want a Mediterranean bowl. Instead, I'll add a little bit of balsamic vinegar. If I have the macros to do it, I'll add a little bit of goat cheese. There you go. It's very similar ingredients, but I'm getting a different flavor profile, so I don't go crazy.
0: And Do you have any Thing you would label a diet hack Ooh. that you use. Ooh. So, I mean, for me, just hearing that you don't need olive oil in the air yeah. fryer is a big one.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess that's one. Um, I. It's funny because when I first started my cut, I went on Reddit and I asked the same question in the bodybuilding subreddit because, you know, I'm not really a big Reddit person, but I dipped my toe in, uh, for the law school admissions Reddit. And then I really shouldn't have done that because it just created a lot, a lot more anxiety when people were hearing back from schools and I wasn't. Um, but I had asked that and a lot of people were just like diet soda and mint gum. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, Oh, that's, Disgusting, and
0: you don't like diet soda.
1: Well, now I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like those water flavor enhancers.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I use yeah, those. I use those now, um, but I try to limit it to like one a day. Even though they're sweetened, the one that I use is sweetened with stevia because I'm so close to my show. Uh, we limit artificial sweeteners just because for some people they cause more water retention. Um so but stevia isn't an artificial sweetener and it doesn't have that impact. So um a lot of stevia honestly in my coffee. I have a lot of stevia. Oh, this is a diet hack for coffee. If you like sweet coffee, uh stevia and cinnamon powder. It's like Christmas in a cup. Is it as satisfying as your you know, mocha chino with oat milk no but it'll get you through the day
0: okay (laughs) well this has been really fun thank you for agreeing to come on to robinson's nascent podcast that hasn't published any episodes of course
1: i mean hey i i love talking about this stuff and everybody i know is tired of hearing about it um (laughs) and and also it was it was nice for me um for reflective purposes, because, you know, I'm so close to my next show and I don't know when my show, my next show after that will be. So it's nice to kind of take time to reflect on my journey. And hopefully if this does get published, uh, my journey resonates with, with somebody and um, hopefully gives them a little bit of guidance or makes them feel like, they're not 100% alone if they're feeling insecure in their body or as if they don't have ownership of it um, because of a traumatic experience, something like that. You know, so I'm I'm more than happy to to be a guest.
0: Great, and I know that there's also so much more to go into regarding training and mental mm-hmm. health. So perhaps somewhere down the we'll road, do we'll do another one. Around, I can
1: I can always Great. talk for longer.